Well, good morning and howdy. How's everyone doing this morning? How many of you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep last night? Oh, man. Hey, I've got an idea. I don't know if this will work or not, but what if we sign a petition that we just agree that every Sunday we put the clocks back another hour, right? We just keep doing that every Sunday. Uh, you know, hey, we could have church in the dark. It'd be great, but it'd be a lot of fun. So it's good to see you all. My name is Josh, one of the ministers here. If you are a guest or, man, long-term family here or online, welcome to our family gathering. We love you guys. So glad to see you. All right. So Barnabas, just like Barnabas, we're in a series about a man whose nickname was Barnabas. You say nickname. Yeah, his real name is Joseph. Joseph was one of the first Christians. He was the first generation Christ follower. We see him peppered throughout the book of Acts, which chronicles the first 30 years of the church's life. And one of the things we've been doing is looking at this man's life, and there are characteristics about a Barnabas kind of life. The name Barnabas, the nickname he was given, literally means son of encouragement because he was such an encourager. His life just oozed encouragement. And this is a world that needs encouragement. And so we're looking each week at one key word that describes a characteristic of a Barnabas kind of life. And so by way of reminder, let me just show you where we've been. Week one, we looked at the idea that a Barnabas kind of person is an encourager, meaning the words that are shared bring life and courage to the one hearing. Quick question, are people encouraged after they talk to you or discouraged after they talk to you? Because a Barnabas kind of person says, although it may be hard to hear even, I want the person who hears it to be better. The second word was giver, because Barnabas did not simply give words, he gave through his works and through his wealth. That to be a Barnabas is more than the words you say, but are you a generous person? Barnabas kind of people are generous. And then the third week, we looked at this word welcoming. Barnabas had a supernatural radar that went off whenever he found a lost, lonely, or left out person. And to be a Barnabas kind of person, one who gives courage, means that you see those others don't see, especially those who are new to the family of God. He would find people and draw them in to the family of God. And then the fourth word, the one we looked at last week, is really answering the question, how do you do these other things? It's because he was full. See, every one of us in our lives is full of something or some things. The problem is many of us are full of things that are not very helpful. We are full of ourselves, our opinions, our preferences, our comfort zones. And because that's what we are full of, when we get jostled, what comes out of us are those things, right? And that's why there's sometimes friction in relationships that doesn't need to be there. But Paul and Barnabas and a bunch of these guys, Barnabas in particular, we were told last week, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit of God filled him, what came out of him was the presence of God in the lives around him. Now, today we're going to look at a fifth word. But this word is maybe the most uncomfortable word for being a Barnabas. But hear me now. You cannot be a Barnabas without the word we're going to look at this morning. You say, what is it? Here it is. Conviction. Conviction. Conviction, the definition of conviction is a fixed or firm belief. A fixed 
or firm belief. We live in a culture and a world where conviction is held on the wrong things so often, but not on the right things. But to be a Barnabas, to be someone who is full of the presence of God, living it out in three-dimensional space means that you must be convicted of truth and live by that truth. But hear me now, if you are a person of conviction, there are moments where your conviction will cost you something. Barnabas is going to show us that you cannot live a life of encouragement if you do not have conviction, but he's about to show us the cost of conviction because there's this moment in Acts chapter 15 where Barnabas and one of his best friends are about to have a conflict over their convictions. This begins in Acts chapter 15 in verse 36. It tells us this, sometime later, I'll tell you later from what, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul and Barnabas, this dynamic duo of the first century, have just finished their first missionary journey. They've gone through a few experiences together, and now Paul says, let's do it again. Let's go back, check in on the churches. Barnabas says, that's a great idea, but he goes on to say this. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why? Because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So what happened is they were going on their trip and something happens. Their first missionary journey, this is a picture of it, through the Mediterranean. They left Antioch and came down to Cyprus. But before they were even halfway through their trip, Mark gets cold feet. Mark gets scared. Mark, something happens, and he says, I'm done, and he goes home. Quick show of hands, how many of you have ever wanted just to go back home? I remember one of the first times I just wanted to go home was my first year of Bible camp. I was 10 years old. It was a week-long camp at Fall Creek Fall State Park. Everything was going well, but about midweek, I was just so homesick. And I remember sitting on this stump Everyone's having fun. There was a marshmallow fight. Marshmallows are flying. Kids are crying. It was great. Great time for everyone. And I'm sitting there feeling sad. And then this song from the Beach Boys comes on. Because we always had music playing at camp. And this song, how many of you know the song Sloop John B. from the Beach Boys? Any of you? There's a real generation gap going on here. Sloop John B. There's this refrain in the song where he says, I want to go home. Why? This is the worst trip I've ever been on. And I hear that and I go, yes! And people are looking at me like, what's wrong with him? Let's get him with marshmallows. But So there's this moment where Mark is feeling homesick. Something happens. He goes home and he leaves. Now this not only affected Mark, this affected Paul. Because Paul goes, man, the mission of God is so big, but it's tough. I need people who are on my team, people who are going. I don't know if we can handle a defector. And so what happens next? Barnabas wants to take Mark, but Paul did not think it, notice this, wise, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And it is such a sharp disagreement. Watch what happens. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of of the Lord. Here's what I want to show you. Three truths about conviction. 
three truths about conviction. One thing you need to know before we dive into these, though, is that in this situation, you have two men who are equally convicted, and as a result, there is some challenge here. Now, the question often comes, well, who's right, who's wrong? It is possible that in many of our disagreements, there's a person who's right and a person who's wrong. There are also times in our disagreements that both parties may be right, and it's also true that both parties may be wrong. How many of you have watched politics anytime, say, ever? Is it possible that both parties can be wrong? Oh, yeah. Both of these men, though, were right because they both held to the conviction that the mission of God is the number one thing in the life of a believer, but they disagreed on how to do it. So I want to show you three truths about conviction. Number one, all convictions are not created equal. All convictions are not created equal. Here's why. Conviction is a fixed or firm belief. But if the belief is wrong, the conviction is wrong. Are you following? In our culture, what we believe often is that so long as you are sincere in your convictions, it's okay to believe it. Just so long as you are sincere, it's okay. But if you sincerely believe you can fly, if you step off a bridge, it does not mean you can fly. The value of the conviction is based on the value of the belief. And not all beliefs are created equal. Friends, this is why the Word of God is the truth on which the church must stand. If you do not stand, if you do not submit... If you do not come under the authority of Scripture, you will find something else to submit to. Every one of us has an operating system, a way of acting through life based on what we believe to be true, what we believe has authority in our lives. And if it is not the Word of God, it will be your own opinion, the group you run with, the culture that you sit sit in. This is one of the reasons, even last week, what was the main point? Be in the Word. Not Sundays only, but daily. Dwell in it. Let the truth of God seep into your life in such a consistent manner that what comes out of you is the truth of God. Now, let me warn you, if you lead and listen and learn from the Word of God, expect to be confronted by the Word of God. A friend of mine, a professor, often would say, when we read the Bible, the Bible will read us. Because it will show in me things that should not be there. I'll read something, and it will challenge my pre-existing convictions. Let me give you an example about convictions. Not all convictions are equal. So, if you lived before 1543, you and I would have held a certain conviction that we know today to be radically wrong. You want to know what that one was? We believed that the earth was the center of the universe. We were convinced of this fact until a guy named Nicholas Copernicus put out and published his theory that, no, we're not the center, but rather we, planet Earth, circle around the sun. The sun is the center of our solar system, and even our solar system is not the center of the universe. Here's what I need you to know, though. It wasn't until the 1700s that even astronomers began to agree with his assessment. Why? The longer you hold a belief the more difficult it is to change your conviction about that belief. But just because it's hard to change a belief doesn't make the belief true. Are you following? 
Not all beliefs are created equal. Not all convictions are created equal. In fact, for some of us, the conviction that has to be shifted first is that you and I are not the center of the universe. Can I get an oh yeah? We're born into a world with this idea that I am the king of the world. You want to know how I know that? Because we cry when we want something as babies. Some of us, though, don't cry, but we still pout. We still moan. We still complain. But to be a mature Christ follower means that our beliefs begin to be formed in the image of Christ. Truth number one, all convictions are not created equal, which means you need to be in the Word of God. By the way, that's why tomorrow night and the next Monday night, I'm going to be teaching how to study the Bible right here in the cafe beginning at 6.30. Two weeks, an hour and a half each week because we want you to know how to study the Bible so you can get the most out of the Bible so you can understand and be under the authority of Jesus Christ in every way. So I invite you to come, be a part of that. Truth number two, though. While all beliefs, all convictions are not created equal, number two, conviction creates, say this word with me, friction. Isn't it true that when you and someone else hold different convictions, there's going to be a little friction? You're going to rub up against each other a bit? Things aren't going to fit quite as easily? But friends, that's not a bad thing. As the proverb writer tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In other words, the friction caused by two people who love God and are pursuing the things of God will bring about sharper Christ followers for God. In other words, the people that you rub up against really matters. So here's a thought for you. If you live a life without friction, chances are you're living a life without conviction. I'll say that again. If you're living a life without friction, then chances are you're living a life without conviction because your convictions will spill over and affect the way that you interact with other people. Now, let me say this, though. If you seem to find your life is constantly having friction, the issue is not with your conviction. The issue is with you. In fact, truth number three. All conviction... Conviction does not equal rudeness, arrogance, or abrasiveness. Being convicted of something does not mean that you're rude, arrogant, or abrasive. By the way, if you're rude, arrogant, or abrasive, that does not mean that you have convictions. That means you are being a jerk. You could be a Christian jerk, but still a jerk. Christ followers, Christ followers do not mask rudeness and call it conviction. Josh Diggs has no right to be rude. Your conviction, your conviction may create friction, but if everyone around you, there's always friction, then the issue may not be your conviction. The issue may be that you have not submitted to the authority of God in the way that you treat one another. Are we tracking this morning? Are we all together? Give me a uh uh-huh if we're together. Otherwise, we've got to go back through all this. So, uh uh-huh. Oh, man, I love the vigorous head nods. Now, here's the big question, right? If it's true that not all convictions are created equal, then what that means is we need to have an authority greater than ourselves that we are being changed and shaped into. By the way, if you read the Scriptures and you run into something that is awkward or uncomfortable, a command of God that you don't want to do or you don't find yourself doing, that may be the area where God is wanting you to grow. So if it's true that all conviction are not created, and if it's true that conviction creates friction... And conviction is not the same thing as being rude or arrogant. It's almost like you have these two ditches. I don't want to be rude and arrogant, but I also know that I'm going to have some friction in life. 
How do I stay between the ditches? And I want to give you one thing, a real practical help this morning, as you leverage the conviction of God in your daily life. Because the way you communicate will determine how, how you impact the lives of others. And so I want to show you a great conviction communication path. This comes from a great book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. She was a leader in the business world, and she found that there's basically four quadrants of communication. I'll walk you through these. But you have below the line lack of care. So the vertical line is you care for the person personally or not, how much you care. But you also have in communication how much you challenge. Do you challenge or are you passive? Do you care or do you not care? Are you following so far? So she has four quadrants. Let me show you these. When you care personally and you challenge directly, that's what she calls radical candor. But when you care personally but don't challenge, that's called ruinous empathy. In other words, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I love them so much. If I tell them it just hurt their feelings, I I love them too much. I can't say a thing. Then she says, if you care don't care personally, and you don't challenge directly. This is called manipulative insincerity. Everybody say, manipulative insincerity. No, 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 no. You're like, really? Come on, digs. Manipulative insincerity is where you say, I don't want to say anything to you because it might be awkward to me. I don't care about you. I care about me. I don't care about your feelings. I care about my feelings. And I'm fearful of how it will make me feel or look, so I won't say anything. Now, there's another side. When you begin to challenge, but if you don't care, you're down here in an area she calls obnoxious aggression. This is the person who loves telling everyone what they think and how you should be doing life differently. Now, they'll often say things like, well, I'm a truth teller. And we say, no, you're not. You're being a jerk. We love you. Obnoxious aggression. Challenge without care. But radical candor. I care for you. And because I care for you, I care too much not to tell you this. It is for your good that I'm saying this, not to make me feel better. So she gives this really interesting example. Now, before I put it on screen, I need just real, real quick. I understand we're in church, and this is an awkward example. Don't email me tomorrow. Deal? <clears throat> Men, I'm using this for your benefit. Ladies, if this is weird, just, just kind of listen in. But, okay, gentlemen, just for a moment, let's be honest. How many of us, show of hands, how many of us have ever either witnessed or been in the situation where someone else witnessed that um, your zipper was zipped? Anyone in here? Are we following? Is that discreet enough? Some of you are going, nope, not at all. Let me give you how this plays itself out. Awkward situation, but I want you to see how this plays out in silly situations so you see how it works in bigger ones. So if you have a friend, let's call him Red. And your friend Red has kind of gotten to zip. You come up and you say, okay, I've got four options. Now, if you care for Red, but you are not going to challenge him, you will be silent because you don't want to embarrass Red. You don't want to tell him, it's like, oh, that's embarrassing, but I don't want to tell him because that'll hurt his feeling, make him embarrassed. I just leave it alone. By the way, when Red finds out three hours later, how's he going to feel anyway? Embarrassed. Then there's the other option. If you don't care for red and you're silent well you're silent because you don't want to embarrass yourself it's about you it's not about red it's about you then there's those other special people that we know and love in our lives who challenge strongly but don't care all that much and so they're down here and theirs is look everybody red's fly is down 
We've met those folks, haven't we? Maybe we see them in the mirror in the morning, don't we? But I love what Kim Scott says. She says, listen, listen. When you genuinely care for someone, you will be compelled to tell them the truth. But you will do it for their good. This checks your motives. This checks the way you communicate. This checks the way you engage. And notice how this would go. As you whisper, red, your flies down. I care for you. Friends, in the church of Jesus Christ, conviction will propel us to tell the truth for the benefit of the one hearing the truth. And if you cannot in good conscience say, I'm doing this for your benefit, then you need to check your heart before you go into the conversation. And if you are doing it because you want to make yourself feel better, if Josh is, then God forgive us because that is not conviction that will lead to positive change. It will simply lead to division. And I love this. I love this. Do you notice in the text, it says Paul, when he responded to Barnabas, he does not say, Barnabas, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. He doesn't say, Barnabas, you are a moron. He doesn't attack Barnabas for wanting to bring John Mark. He doesn't go and gossip about Barnabas and talk about him. He doesn't address him or question his motives or his... What does it say? It says he did not think it wise. In other words, it's objective saying, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. We have a job to do and he's going to be an anchor to our boat. We're not going to get to go where we need to go. In other words, he addressed the situation in an appropriate way. It still led to them having to do different things, but it was conviction that led to a decision. I've been thinking a lot about this. What does it mean to be a person of conviction? And and I love how Barnabas, because of what he did, because of the way that he interacted, because of the way he approached this situation, and even Paul, the mission of God, the message of God continued to spread. And I want to just tell you this morning, there's one more truth. There's one more truth. If you'll embrace these three, there's a fourth truth. Are you ready what the fourth truth is? The fourth truth is simply this, that conviction communicated well can be contagious. Because what you want, if you truly believe something is of God and for God, it's supported under the weight of Scripture, then you will find yourself saying, this cannot be left undone. But if you live a life of conviction, then that conviction will lead to courage in others. You say, Josh, where do you get this? Let me tell you. See, after this moment, we don't hear of Barnabas again. Now, I'm going to tell you the rest of some of this story next week, but let me tease you a bit. Did you know, though, we do hear about Mark a few more times in the New Testament? In fact, this runaway, this weak-willed, scared man because of the influence of Barnabas in his life, begins to pop up elsewhere in Scripture. And so you'll hear, you'll read from the writings of different authors. They'll be saying, I'm with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and they all send greetings. Oh, and by the way, Mark is here and he sends greetings as well. See, see, the coward becomes courageous because the convictions of the courageous can be contagious to others. That when you truly believe and live your life in order, in concert with your beliefs, you will be a contagious person. And here's the thing. The reason we're talking about this is not because I want you to be like Barnabas, but because Barnabas was like our Savior Jesus Christ. 
Barnabas lived his life under the convictions and lived them out. See, conviction is more than a belief. It is an action. Conviction leads us from simply thinking to doing, from motivation to motion. And because of this, because of this, the world has never been the same. But it all comes back to our Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, quick question for you. What are your convictions? If I were to ask you this morning to list them out, like three or four, okay. What's, what's your conviction about your purpose on earth? If we take the word of God at face value, then the purpose for you and me on earth is to share the goodness of God with everyone and everywhere we go. That beauty seems to just flourish when you and I are around. Do you believe that? Is that such a conviction that you are speaking the name of Jesus and inviting his presence into every moment of life? Another conviction is, uh, what about your conviction about people? Are you convicted that people are created in the image of God? Which means even the person who drives down the road and gives you a one-finger wave is worthy of honor and grace because that person is created in the image of God. So, so you speak in a way, you love in a way, you show grace in a way. Are you convicted or do you believe that you are a steward of the gifts God has given you, of your finances? See, if you are, then that will change the way that you manage things. It'll change the way you see, live, and work. Because that's what our Savior did. Have you ever thought about the convictions of our God? Did you know God has certain convictions? Let let me give you a couple of them. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his son Jesus. The conviction of God led to the actions of God on earth. And because of the conviction of God, it was so strong it held Jesus on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Have you ever thought about the conviction of God when it comes to how he sees you and sees me and sees all people? The conviction of God was so strong that he created everyone in his image that Jesus spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, with the lonely and the left out. Jesus spent time with those that we often ignore. The conviction of God lived out in the life of Christ. Have you ever considered the conviction of God when it comes to his stewardship of time, energy, and money? That everything he had for three years of ministry was towards the mission of God, the purpose of God, the conviction that he was here on purpose led to the way he lived. Friends, what are your convictions? Because you cannot live a Barnabas kind of life unless you have convictions. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, what are your convictions? And maybe the next and more important question is, What are you doing with your convictions? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, how will the convictions of today influence the actions of tomorrow? And so here's what we're going to do. We do this many weeks. We're going to give you a chance just to process. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us. And the way we do that is very simple. If you're new to church, if you're new to the faith, it's very simple. All you do is you simply begin to talk to God, and He will lead So I'm going to ask you to go ahead, get your feet planted, sit up, get into a comfortable posture. If you need to close your eyes or bow your head or open your hands, you can do that. But I want you to ask the Lord one question, and here it is. Father, will you make your convictions my convictions? It doesn't matter what Josh says. Would you make your convictions my convictions? It doesn't matter what culture says. Will you make your convictions my convictions?
And just for a few moments, ask him. Now, if you this morning are sensing that your convictions are not his convictions, then maybe you ask this next question or this next request. Will you help me to live your convictions? So let's talk to the Father. Now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, Father, we come to you. And Lord, we ask not for my neighbor, but for me, that you would show me what you value, the beliefs I should hold, and that they would produce in me courageous conviction. I pray for my sisters and my brothers that you would pour into them your courageous conviction that they would be, as Jesus calls us, shining stars in a dark world. Father, may we step into awkward and uncomfortable moments, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. And Father, I pray that you would use us to help others for the marks of this world to become courageous. Father, I thank you that while I was a sinner, while we were sinners, Jesus, you came and out of your conviction, you died for us. But out of your power, you rose on the third day. And as Paul says, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from your love. And that conviction fuels your people to this very day. Lord Jesus, fill us, indwell us, Spirit, give us your power to fulfill your purposes. May we be people of courageous conviction so that your will will be done and the name of Jesus will be seen. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.